We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into today's show, OBR Film Breakdown. Jake Burns. To start here, uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on before we start that I really want to dive into. Obviously, things changed tonight. If you watched the AFC North on Thursday Night Football, Joe Burrow with you know a pretty gnarly wrist or thumb injury. There was some video out there with him wearing a brace of some kind that was then deleted by the team and left some speculation about the hand. He throws a ball on the goal line, down near the goal line, and comes up with a hand injury. Uh, he said he heard some sort of pop. Obviously, the Bengals last place 5-5 five and five in the division following the loss, so they had an uphill battle no matter what way you look at it. Even if Burrow's going to be out there, it's extremely uphill because they have a tough schedule remaining with some very serious opponents, one of the toughest in the NFL. So the Bengals sitting at 5-5, five and five, like I said, Burrow potentially, we'll see what the MRI says. If he's out for a while, feels like the Bengals season just effectively ended tonight. We'll see what ultimately happens, but the way Burrow was not using the hand at all tells us that's probably the case. You also saw Mark Andrews from the Ravens, their tight end, go down with what appears to be, according to his coach, John Harbaugh, a severe ankle injury, which is going to cost him the rest of the season. So that changes the scope of who the Ravens offense is, because that's one of the best tight ends in the NFL. So uh, just a you know a weird night in Thursday night football. It sucks because these injuries and all of that. But we have a clearer picture at this point that the Ravens are the top of the division. The Browns are going to be chasing them a chance to be seven and three to the Ravens eight and three if they get a win this weekend. But that's kind of where the division's at. It feels like the Bengals are going to be fighting severely uphill to try to even make the playoffs. They're fighting their AFC record, their overall record, the division record, which is not very good for them. I think they're zero and two in the division. So I expect the Bengals, if Burrow is out for a significant amount of time to sort of tilt toward some sort of tanking, not publicly, obviously, no one does that, but making decisions about some players, not rushing back T. Higgins, all the above, you know, the back of Jamar Chase, like they, there's a reason they would do that, right? They could, you know, pursue, if, like I said, a Burrow's done for the year or close to done for the year, you're pursuing some sort of top 10 pick potentially, you're pursuing a chance to get a fourth place schedule next year, just, just little tidbits of like what I think the Bengals angle might be so that's a wrap for Thursday night football the Ravens distance themselves we'll see if the Browns or Steelers can catch up with them this weekend Uh, on the OBR website we did a deeper dive into the injury of Deshaun Watson we talked about it last night Brad Ward wrote that up that's worth your time 
Cody Sook wrote up the ball security being paramount against Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to hear about that from our guest today, how they're creating turnovers has essentially saved their season. So that's well done and well written up and can give you all the information you need on why the Browns obviously have to take care of the football. Compensation pick updates from Jack Duffin. Are they going to have any in 2024? He wrote that up. That's worth your time as well. Pete Smith, what the Browns need from Dorian Thompson-Robinson, also available. So Thompson-Robinson spoke today and talked about how it's going to be a night and day difference for him. This is at least what he's saying, right? So uh, his prognosis was it's a special opportunity. I'd say it came at the right time. Obviously, our hopes and prayers are with Deshaun, but this team needs to win, and they need to win right now, and that's what I'm trying to work uh, you know, work on doing, coming in here and taking advantage of my opportunity. He said he's much more prepared this time. I know what to expect now, unlike many of the other uh, people out there. I've been in the NFL game, so I'm not stepping out there for the first time as opposed to some other backup quarterbacks. He has, obviously, that start against the Ravens, although not very promising. Uh, he has at least seen it, right? And he said, I know all my keys, all what to look at throughout film, what to watch, who key players are on their defense and everything now. So I'm just, I'm not going to go out there wide-eyed anymore. I'm going to go out there with things to look at, things to focus on, and a plan to be able to tackle. We'll see about the wide-eyed nature, right? You can say that after you've had one start. The start didn't go well, but, you know, it would be a great outcome for Dorian Thompson-Robinson to feel more comfortable and play better. There's no doubt about that after the three turnover game he had week three, but he does sound more confident, right? And and confidence is a big part of this whole thing. And he said, it's going to be night and day. I just really do feel like it's going to be night and day. My progression, the maturity, how I've handled this week this so far and all the weeks before, just being able to learn from that first experience. So again, confidence, a huge thing. We'll see if he can step up to the plate. It's a huge challenge in front of him. He's got a huge opportunity, but I do think a lot of the future of whether Thompson Robinson is taking snaps this year rides on whether he's able to play well in this game. And the third quarterback decision will probably be somewhat based on how he plays in this one because they could either go after a vet of some meaning, which we saw some really weird circulated social media photos of Joe Flacco. Maybe they're real. Maybe he is coming in for a visit. It might make some sense as far as the quarterback senior quarterback market, right? The vets out there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll just we'll have to see. We'll play it ear by ear. We'll let you know everything we hear. Don't know if that picture of Joe Flacco on a plane was real. It has a little bit of the look of it being real, but, you know, social media, that's how it goes. Linebacker Anthony Walker also talked about Thompson Robinson's growth since his first opportunity. He said, I think against the Ravens, it was a tough spot for him. Walker said, anytime you're just thrown into the fire like that against a defense like that, it's always tough, right? But like you said, just the growth and maturity. I've seen it throughout his preparation throughout the weeks. He was scout team player of the week last week, giving us a great look of Lamar Jackson. So again, the growth and maturity of the preparation is what I've seen the most, and that's what I think is going to help him take the next step forward out there. So good stuff to hear from a leader like Walker. Kevin Stefanski talked about it as well. Again, young players need exposure. You get better in practice. Sometimes you get better through games. You know, he's a young player. He works very hard. Gave him a scout team game ball last week. His work prepping the defense for Lamar. So he's gotten better, and I think even better in practice. Works very hard in the meeting room with all those guys, AVP especially. So he's working really hard. Cedric Tillman, if you forgot, is his high school teammate. They're very connected, now going to both be a focal point on the field. Tillman said, I think he'll do well. We're going to rally around him, saying all the right things, right? So uh, P.J. Walker will be ready. He'll be the backup. If things go awry early, I'm sure he could potentially see snaps. It's not the outcome that you would want to have. You know, Stefanski talked about DTR needing to take care of the ball. Yeah, I think he can play this game a certain way when you're playing carefree, but you're not being careless, right? You have to take care of the ball. We know that turnover stat is the most important thing that drives winning and losing. I know Pittsburgh is tied for the league in plus 10 in turnover margin. They've taken care of the ball. 
They've not given it away very much, and they've gotten a lot of takeaways. So we get that. We understand that's part of the game, and every game going forward is taking care of the football. That's the focal point of these quarterbacks, and especially a young quarterback like DTR in this game. He finished up with why he thinks it can be different this time one more time. He said, if you look at the circumstances, what you got to go up against and all the things that come with this game, you have to win. It's a must-win game, not only for this week, but for, you know, before our future. And we are trying to get to the goals we're trying to get to. So it's a big game at the end of the day. If I go out there and follow my rules, I'll be all right. Because I've been in these shoes before where I've been thrown out there in the fire and made it out, made it out of it successful. So I know I can do this. I know I have what it takes to do this. I've been through the fire already this year, and I've only grown from it. So I expect to do the same thing this year as well, get better from that first experience. He has college experience with this. He has NFL experience with this. Let's see how Dorian Thompson-Robinson handles it. Everybody is pulling for him. Obviously, his teammates giving full support, and he said, I'm glad they said that because we shouldn't have a change of mindset or a changing of goals, but our goals are still the same whether it's me, PJ, or Deshaun. So listen, confident young quarterback. Hopefully he can step up to the challenge. His words are met by actions. And I, I think they could, guys. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with how he plays this weekend. Take care of the football, young man. Do the job. They have some belief. Back at practice today, Wyatt Teller, uh, Dewan Jones, those are two big ones. Teller seems like a more uh, lock, in my opinion, to play. He was a full participant in practice today. Dewan Jones limited in wearing a knee brace. So it's still very much in the air if Dewan Jones is going to be able to play, but it's a good step for him to be out there in a limited capacity. David Njoku back at practice, kind of dealing with a knee, but he's fine. Marquis Goodwin, DMP today, uh, still dealing with concussion protocol. Matt Adams, a special teams uh, linebacker of, of value, two straight DMPs, not injury-related personal, so we don't know what's going on with that one. Obviously, talk about it whenever that comes to pass. Uh, Okoronkwo was again limited with the groin, but he's out there, he's practicing Greg Newsom with the groin is back to full participation, so that's good. Two straight days of full participation for Michael Dunn. You get Wyatt Teller, like I said, is full. Thornhill, again, so it's not trending in a great direction for Juan Thornhill. He was another dude not practice in this one. But you got full participation from Ward and Alex Wright. And then Ward also, Denzel talked about the nature of that hit. He said it was dirty, the, the, the Ronnie Stanley hit, to which I very much agree it was dirty. The NFL fine should come out this weekend. We'll see what comes to pass. Stanley didn't play in this Thursday night game. He's dealing with his own injury. He suffered later in that Browns game. But, yeah, man, we'll see. I, I just think – I'm glad he said it publicly because that hit was ridiculous, and Grant Delpit said the same thing about there's not a place in the league for this. So good on, good on Denzel for standing up for himself publicly because that was a ridiculous hit. I hope the NFL takes care of it. Steelers side, Pat Fryermuth definitely trending toward playing. He was a full participation guy. Uh, Montrevious Adams, DMP, and then – Cam Hayward limited after a DMP yesterday. You get Deontay Johnson back full dealing with the thumb. So it looks like the people in question, Montrevious Adams up front, Keanu Neal, and Minka Fitzpatrick. All, all three of those guys are did not practice status for Thursday. So Friday is the all-important practice to see about this upcoming game. Obviously, I think they're going to try to game day decision Keanu Neal and, and Minka, but it doesn't look like those two are trending in a very good direction. So, again... We'll see, right? It's uh, important players on both sides dealing with injuries. Friday will be an important piece of information in that puzzle. We'll have it all covered for you. Last piece of information before we get to our guests. Jim Donovan is back, the, the voice of the Browns. Returns to the booth on Sunday. Really exciting stuff. So you get Jim Donovan back. He's been fighting, battling, waging a war against the disease. I think he's been dealing with 
you know, putting up with the chemo, the difficulty of dealing with that for his, again, a very specific type of leukemia, chronic uh, lymphocytic leukemia is what I've read here. He's been away from the microphone for two months, but he seems to be in a good place. He's been a mainstay since the mid-80s. He'll be back with Nathan Zagura up there in the box. It's just a real lift, man. I mean, Jim Donovan's one of the best ones in the NFL and clearly, clearly the voice of your Cleveland Browns. So that's a good spiritual lift. I've said, wouldn't it be nice if Nick Chubb also could be in the house this weekend? But I don't think that's going to happen. But there's a lot of strong emotions to getting the Steelers again after what happened in Pittsburgh. And hopefully the Browns have some added motivation, as they say, for this one because of that, right? It's just great to have Jim Donovan back, and I'm sure he'll be recognized and Everybody loves him, so really great spiritual lift there. Uh, overall, listen, we have a couple of uh, podcast interviews here, One of which, actually both of which took place before Injury Report came out. One with John Colosimo to start, then we'll take a break. Uh, with John, we're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Watson, and talk about the Yahoo Report uh, on a podcast from Charles Robinson, and then talk about, you know, kind of some expectations for the rest of the year with John. Just an extended conversation from yesterday's with Jordan and Andrew and John's got some good stuff, some good perspective, so I always enjoy chatting with him. And then after the break, we get with Nick Fairball from Pittsburgh Sports Now, who does as good a job as anybody staying neutral with the organization, realistic with it, and his insights on the Steelers and what the difference is between Week 2 and Week uh, week 11 here are very intriguing, and I think he does a great job. So very informative couple guests. Hopefully you stick around for both of them because I think they're worth your time. We're going to get to John Colosimo first, then we'll get to Nick Fairball second. Let's get going right now. All right, we welcome in John Colosimo. It's been a minute. John's a busy man, so we can steal some of his time. I always enjoy doing that. What's up, brother? How are you? Uh, not much, man. How's it going? You know, busy busy life over here. I know you're dealing on the third child. Busy life over there. It's uh, it's a it's a constant fight for time. I know you understand that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, you know, we got the holidays rolling around, too. So it's uh, fighting, trying to get some stuff done around the house. Um, and then, you know, the rest is just trying to stay above water. That's that's the theme. The chapter section, whatever you want to call this, of lives is 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 stay your head above water. Like just keeping that fight moving forward, and everybody's breathing at the end of the day. That's an accomplishment. I'm sure I'm sure to which you would agree. All right, so let's talk Browns. I, I like to get your opinion on uh, Watson here. I know it's a day removed and all of that, and I've heard from Andrew and I've obviously heard from Jordan. We had them on yesterday, but you know, what's your level of like just general vibe, John? Like like obviously you hear the news, you, you soak it all in. We talked about some concern about the player in the future, what this all shakes out like for him, 11 of 51 games he's played since the start of 21 season. Uh, where, where are you in the future of Deshaun Watson and the Browns? Are you optimistic about it, or are you starting to get a little uh, concerned about whether this is going to be the fulfilled element of the quarterback we thought we were getting when the trade was made? Yeah, I mean, I think that the adjustment and expectations had already happened. Um, I think this is super unlucky, um, and – you know, for more, more than one reasons. Um, obviously, you know, we were about to hit the easy part of the schedule. It looked like he was turning a corner to some degree. But I think my, my expectations had already been, you know, um, tempered quite a bit just from the poor play. And so I don't th- – I think I had already kind of given up on seeing Deshaun from – the Texans, but he didn't have to be that guy. Um, so it's, it's really unfortunate to have some freak injury like this, pop a piece of bone off, um, you know, unrelated to the previous shoulder injury. Uh, going forward, 
I think it'll be fine. I mean, you know, again, the, the expectations are lower, but I, I did expect to have, you know, uh, obviously quarterback performance is down overall um, on the whole league. Um, so the bar was lowered also league wide. Um, and I think he, he's still a top 10 guy. I think coming back, um, I, he, he really does invite this, this contact and, doesn't make things easy on himself staying healthy. So, you know, but um, there's no getting around the fact that um, no matter what, he's, he's going to be the guy for a few more years. Um, I, I think that if he, if he comes back healthy to start this year, um, and this next year, then I think we could be feeling pretty decent, you know, come this time next year. It's just right now there's still some shock and um, you know, you know, adjusting to what the Browns' expectations for this year are. But I, I wouldn't say that – I have listened to you guys um, this morning from yesterday. You guys are a little bit lower than I am about that. I don't I don't really uh, see, you know, if you cut him. You had the conversation where if you cut him and he got to the open market, what would he be worth? And I, I wasn't there with you guys on, on what that would be. So, you know, I, th- I think coming back next year we'll feel pretty good. But right now it's still pretty raw. You think someone's giving him a big deal if he were if we were dealing with this injury and the play we've seen eleven of fifty one games? No, I'm interested in that. You know, I, I think um, somebody did mention the Jimmy G type. I, I think you're, you could get, I think you could get big numbers, but not guaranteed numbers. I think somebody yeah. was talking like eight to ten million dollars and approve it one year deal, and that is like wildly not what I think. But so I think you could get like big dollars, like in the terms of like, you probably get 30 plus million a year, but almost none of it would be guaranteed. Like one year guaranteed at that at a three year deal. Um, that that's, that's probably where I think it would be if, you know, if this was hitting in March next year and he's healthy hitting the, hitting the wire. It'd be interesting because the optics of the person tied to the optics of injury tied to the optics of how he's performed. It would be an just an unbelievable case study in terms of like what truly is quarterback value in the league, right? Because we've seen the pendulum swing so far in the direction of paying these guys, but we've also seen some of the tempering of like that. We, you know, we've discussed this over the years, John, like the cutout of the middle class of quarterback. And like, that's where a deal, like, yeah, I think it went way back to like Blake Bortles deal is a deal we talked about way back when we were in the midst of the Mayfield discussions and all that. And like Jimmy Garoppolo's deal to me does, have some 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 like that's why i brought it up it does have some merit but at the same time jimmy g is like the most adored teammate the most adored off the field guy like i mean it's just there's a lot there and uh, i and it's obviously not going to happen you're you're right about what you said a moment ago they're, the checkbook is tied to deshaun for two more years at the minimum and then you can see what you can do from there but they're, they're going to have to figure out what their usage is for him unless i guess you get like a dak prescott out of nowhere dorian thompson robinson run and then I guess he's maybe sitting on your bench or something, but I don't know that any of us are expecting that kind of thing to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. The, the way that essentially what has happened here is this is the most unique study of like player off-field, on-field drama now in NFL history. Like it's oh, yeah. up there in terms of what he was in, in his 2020 season, the level of like truly a top three performing quarterback to, to where he is right now. It is wild. And that's why I think the discussion around it is so interesting. I'll ask you as we kind of cl- close up on Watson a little bit here is your expectations for the year. And and I think it's fair for some people, John, to have like this idea that, uh, you know, you can be happy to reach the playoffs. Hasn't happened enough here that you should be happy probably. But I also understand that we've been talking about just building to the playoffs and maybe getting there for so long. The stepping stones of like, 
you know, wanting to be a real Super Bowl contender are, are very fair for a lot of people considering, A, how much money the Browns have spent, B, the reputation that they put on the line and put a strain on people to deal with it, right? And see, like, just kind of we've been in this this mixture of fight for the playoffs for so long that you, you, you know, the idea and what we had for, like, a couple of days, a couple of hours is is this idea that they could be real, you know, really in the tier, maybe not the tier of the Philly, Kansas City, but a tier right below it. And that part of it stings to see yourself in that light and then be removed from it that quickly because of what's happened here. But I, I do think, and I tried to paint that yesterday, and hopefully that got through to folks that, like, in my opinion, there is still silver lining to be had out of this, and the Browns have never made the playoffs at a consistent level to just brush aside making the playoffs as a nothing burger, right? So that's where I am. Are you on a different spot on this whole thing where you were just hoping for so much more based on where they were that you'll just probably feel let down altogether, or is making the playoffs still a meaningful thing for you? Oh, for sure. It's a meaningful thing. I mean, this defense is a ton of fun to watch, um, and, you know, that. Defense making this a has made most of this season fun to begin with. It hasn't really been all that much fun on the offensive side. Um, so, uh, you know, we're opening up into the easier part of the schedule. Uh, for me, I think there's still, you know, four to five wins clearly on the table. Um, you know, I probably would be mildly surprised if they didn't win 10, to be honest, um, even given our current scenario. So, um, I think the division is still on the table. I think, we, and that's like a worthy goal. That we've never won the division. Well, they they can win the division. They really can. You know, uh, Cincinnati's got a rough schedule. If they take care of business this week, then uh, then I think that the division is still absolutely up for grabs, even in our current situation. So, winning the division is something we've never done. That would be special. Um, getting to the playoffs, obviously should be a very special thing. And I think that we, we should attain that. And yeah, I mean, expectations are dampened some um, quite a bit, actually, you know, in terms of the ultimate goal, but um, we just haven't won enough for that to be kind of that big of a letdown. I mean, we're six and three and we have a, you know, a historically good defense that is a lot of fun to watch. I don't, and you know, Jordan actually made a pretty good point you know, in that uh, for anybody who is, you know, has been conflicted in terms of, you know, Deshaun and that kind of stuff, um, uh, you know, all that's gone. So you can, you know, you can root to your heart's content without feeling any kind of confliction, not the guy that you're rooting for. So, yeah, I know. I mean, I think this is still going to be a lot of fun. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think DTR will not look as bad as he is. PJ is not a, a you know a high bar to clear, and if we can just clear PJ, um, they, they should be in every game for the rest of the season, with the exception maybe of the Cincinnati game. Yeah, they should. There's no doubt. And I mean, the schedule, the strength of schedule remaining versus what they've seen so far this year, which is a big part of what is a bummer about Watson, is he faced some of the better defenses, and then they get a chance to play some of the worst defenses, and he's not going to get that opportunity. But like they will have a chance to still win 10, 11, 12 games here. Yes. Like, if the quarterback play is competent, they can do that. And the the bigger degree here is like the Ravens and Bengals and, and Steelers isn't quite as bad, but I think we're all pretty inclined to think that some of the Steelers luck here is going to reverse at some point. We, we've been maybe saying that for years, but I mean, this season specifically is just kind of wild. They're doing things that haven't been done in NFL history with the fortune of being outgained, but still winning games. So, 
there's still a very real opportunity to win the division and you cannot scoff at, you know, let alone making the playoffs, but winning the division they haven't done since the year I was born, man, 1989. Like that is bananas to think about. And I, I'm sure, you know, the Bengals won the division, obviously those years ago, kind of a decade ago now when they went on that Andy Dalton run and like, yeah, they didn't win any playoff games through those, but winning the division over the Steelers and Ravens still brings a level of achievement that should be meaningful. And especially considering how good the collectiveness of this division is, it is meaningful. So chasing that, I'm sure a large part of what the in-house discussion in Berea amongst the players who were obviously disappointed by the news with Deshaun and heartbroken and stuff here is we can still do something that hasn't been done in the organization for a long time. And then you get that ticket to the playoffs and anything can happen at any time. Right. You, know, you could lose a quarterback. We saw Mahomes get hurt when the Browns played him in 20, like anything could happen. So uh, you just sort of get your lotto ticket and then go about it and, and put your best foot forward. So it's exciting stuff that they could still do those things. And it's still very attainable. Whereas if they had maybe the hardest schedule remaining, it's not the same sort of outlook. I think you can really have a positive spin outlook on this thing without even squinting all too hard. I think it's right there in front of you. The, the interesting thing that kind of went under the radar yesterday and you brought it to attention on Twitter. And I know some other guys did too. It kind of popped up in the OBR Slack channels is this Yahoo report from Charles Robinson. So it's pretty dense and uh, full of speculation, but but summarize a little bit of what you listened to, what you heard, and then we'll kind of talk about it if we can. Yeah, I, you know, so I started to see some people, um, you know, that I follow talking about this report. And, you know, for those who haven't checked out some of his reports before, I think over the last five, six, seven years, Charles Robinson has like one or two of these, seems like a year, it might be every other year, but um, he's had several uh, insider looks at the Browns organization, whether that was around the draft or if it was, you know, in the off season and coaching hire or coaching issues. Um, he, he's had several of these where he has, you know, has had at least in the past um, pretty legitimate sources. Um, so some people have pointed this out that it was, you know, that it was interesting or, you know, that it made him think or whatever else. So I tuned into this last night and, it's pretty disappointed. I mean, really, first of all, um, it, it's it's qualified to the nth degree. You know, I mean, he keeps saying over and over, this is just his opinion, uh, maybe based on some conversations. But that right there is a very different tone than any of his other insider articles or pods that he's done about the Browns before. They were not qualified like that. So, you know, for me, that that already means, you know, that there's, you know, 90% speculation and his sources are either not very close to the, you know, to the source material here or whatever, because he, he has never done that before. But I think what it ends up amounting to is it centers around this Dobbs decision, right? Where, um, I don't know why everybody's looking so hard for somebody to blame for this, but um, basically. I'll say, John, I was at the last, I think, training camp that he was at. He looked awful. Yeah. Like I, I, I thought he was going to be cut. Like he looked so bad, and I was, I was really perplexed by where he was in those moments. About like, and I'm telling you, it's not like you can say the coaches fit. They were just regular team driven reps, and he was just missing people. And I, I don't know if like maybe he needed a change of scenery or something, but I, I don't think the Browns were were cutting or trading somebody here who they thought, man, this guy's really going to come back to bite us a little bit. You know, I. I I don't think we should be doing this. I, I'm sitting there watching it. I, I Again, I was in the stands because I like to sit up high and watch. He was bad. Yeah. So, you know. yeah. And, you know, and even going back, you know, to where we've had him in games before, you know, um, he's not, he, he just looked like your, 
you know, average to below average backup quarterback. There was nothing special about him. I mean, we liked him, you know, um, he was a decent guy to have on there. I'm sure there's plenty of people, fans and otherwise, that may have not, um, may have not traded him. But there isn't a person in this city that would have told you um, or that thought differently than DTR beating the, you know, beating the boots off of everybody else in camp, you know? So it's crazy revisionist history to question why it happened. You know, it's, it was very obvious at the time why it happened. And, you know, um, it, I mean, good for him. He went and, and found some, found some juice, some other places. That's great. But uh, you know, that doesn't mean you get to remake history and pretend that things, that that's what you saw in the preseason this year. Cause it's not. But the general point of that pod is that they said deep Podesta made that trade again. This is what Charles Robinson is saying. They made that trade with deep Podesta, the one deciding on it, but the coaches and GM he's trying to say whether he's sourced up or not, were against that deal. Right. Right. So here's the thing. So he's going on again. He says, it's just his opinion. He does not have any kind of confirmation of anybody who's told him this. Basically he is making, taking this premise you know, in his opinion piece here that he's talking about the whole time. A, that the coaches were unhappy with that decision at the time, right? So that's wild assumption, number one, that he doesn't have a source for. Um, Two, um, that also uh, Andrew Barry was not on board really with letting him go as well. Again, like he he makes it abundantly clear that nobody has actually told him this. Um, And then number three, so that leaves um, Deep Podesta and that he believed that it must have been a Deep Podesta guy. And then he, he spends at least like he's, they come back to this, you know, they go to other subjects, but they keep coming back to this over the course of this 30 minutes. And almost all of the rest of it is um, your tried and true, um, you know, old school local radio stuff, which is, uh, you know, what what is Deep Podesta's role anyway? He doesn't even live in Berea. You know, why is he making decisions, you know, which, again, I think that that gets wildly taken out of context, exactly what decisions he makes, um, especially in a specific way, like what to do with a specific player. Um, I think people are pretty wild about that kind of stuff. So and he's I have a hard I just have a hard time, John, believing that he's the one who would make that decision against if everybody else is 100 percent. Doesn't make any he would sense. Make that decision. Makes no, no sense. I, Logically, I, no. this whole thing it reads like we've seen local radio do when they want to get on the, the deep Podesta. They like start assigning all of these weird things to him so that they can blame him um, for various reasons. But none of it makes any sense. You know, I don't believe that the coaches were. I'm sure there's, there's coaches always want to keep all the you know the vets and good players that they can. And you know, I'm sure that there was guys that prefer that. You know, you keep everybody that you can, but you can't keep everybody. That's part of the business. Um, and I have a very, very hard time thinking that AB and the coaching staff were bullied into a decision they really didn't want to do. You know, it seems like it would yeah. be more like a, a, a lukewarm type thing. Like, yeah, we prefer to keep them, but, you know, he, you know, maybe D Podesta makes a case about, you know, the dollars and cents of whatever and how well deep DTR. It was probably just a group talk, you know, and, and they all agreed. And maybe there was like different levels of being on board with it, but I don't think there was a clash over it is the whole. No, no. And getting, and getting a pick swap the way they did and like, you know, you're never going into the season expecting 
Deshaun Watson to be hurt. And even so, like you're thinking what we've seen from Dorian Thompson Robinson is promising enough that we could, you know, if this injury happens, we could get by and et cetera, et cetera. I just, the, the, listen, what it boils down to to me with John is the, the Deshaun Watson contract makes people think the Browns have made a bunch of bad financial decisions, right? This is kind of what they were talking about too, that they're going to be in financial hell. We've proven this at the OBR again and again and again, that they are not going to be in the financial hell. People want to believe that they're going to be in because of the way they structure contracts, the void years, the cash spend. It's all right there for you on our website, but yet you have people like Ari Myrov, the, the voice of, uh, I don't know, the 33rd team. He used to be with PFF. He's leading the charge on this. It's just like low hanging fruit that the Browns are dysfunctional, they're not taking care of the cap, and that maybe Paul DePodesta is making these decisions that don't on the surface work out, even though if you trace it back, it's pretty clear why they did it at the time. And I think that's a lot of why people are frustrated with the national perspective on the Browns is because it's tied to Watts. It, like every tweet that has $230 million in it, I would, I've, I've actually muted it. I mean, every form of two three zero million in some way shape or form i've muted it because anytime you start those tweets with that it's an absolute waste of time like it's just a waste of the banter around the decision and then it's tied to like well look at the got the watson's contract numbers the next two years like they have a clear plan for this now if watson doesn't ever get back to being competent in any way shape or form there's a discussion to be had on that decision and whether that was the right decision and obviously at that time it won't be if he never gets back to form but like for now to paint the browns in a negative financial future and the immediate situation here is just it's a failure of understanding and it's kind of embarrassing that you would go out there publicly and say this thing without understanding some of the nuances behind the cap decisions that they've made and the fact that they're going to continue to restructure things in a way that works because you're ignoring that the eagles are doing very similar things on their end and he's howie roseman is the toast of the town so you know again it's just like it's the watson feeling from so many people and then they just want to bury the browns kind of on top of those elements, you know what I'm saying? Where they, they just want to pile on. Every, everything's getting painted. Every single move, every single cash spend, yeah. every single thing yeah. is being looked at through the $230 million, you know, kaleidoscope, you know, and that's where yeah. Yeah. nothing can be seen as, uh, as wholly positive. I, I agree. And it just, again, it, it all ties together. If you want to paint the Browns negatively, you feel like you can do that because you have these numbers from Watson or, whatever the restructures are or sort of where their cap is perceptionally, you don't understand it. These people are going out there and I'm, I'm telling you, they're putting things out there that they don't understand. And it's, and it takes the masses. It sweeps a lot of people up to believe that what they're saying is true. Yet we disprove it here over and over again. It's just kind of nonsense. It's laughable from the, from the local perspective, from people that actually take the time to dig in and understand it. All right. Last thing before we get out the door, John is how you feel about this one. So, you know, two teams, six and three, going to talk to a guest here after we finish up about the, the the gritty details behind how Pittsburgh is six and three and how they're playing since the first matchup. But it's a, it's a bit of a bummer that we see this game have a damper on it, losing Watson because I thought it had a chance to be a really iconic AFC North game where there's six and three teams that are rivals and it doesn't change the level of, uh, of the, of the importance of the game, but the Browns losing the quarterback the week of is just, it changes things in a lot of ways, but they have a chance to win this game still. And I'm sure you would agree with me. The first one, if they just, didn't play offensively in such a negative fashion. They really should have won that game. They deserve to win that game. Now you get Nick's injury and all of that tied into it. it was a really weird night in Pittsburgh, but I don't think I look at it and say, well, the Browns got a bunch of stellar play from their offense and, and still lost that game. I think you would agree with me. That wasn't the case. So it's just raising the bar a little bit and causing hell on them being in Cleveland with the noise and making offense on them night nightmarish. And I'm just like, I don't believe this game is unattainable in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think people are 
you know, saying it is at all, John, but I, I feel, I mean, borderline good about it. I think that there's a real chance to win this thing by less than, you know, some kick or some touchdown later. So I think it has a chance to be a, a thorough win, but it all probably comes down to whether DTR can just be borderline reasonable and take care of the football. So that that's where I'm at. I'm curious where you're at with it. Yeah. I'd really love to know um, what Dewan's status is going to be. I'd feel an awful lot better if you yeah, if I knew he was going to come back, but, um, but that's, uh, that's misstating it because uh, I thought coming into this and before I heard the Watson news, I, I really thought it was going to be a, a brutal game for the Steelers, to be honest with you. I thought it would probably be, you know, something along the lines of uh, 27 to seven to 27 to three is what I was thinking with Watson coming into that game. Uh, and I don't feel all that much different, to be honest with you. I think they're, I, the splits, if you've seen them at home, they've been absolutely murdering teams at home. And uh, I think that uh, their backs are going to be up against a wall losing uh, Deshaun for the year. Um, you know, Nick, a little bit of revenge for Nick. Um, you know, a bad taste in their mouth from a game they should have won earlier this year. Um, I I would not want to be the Steelers coming into this game, and I don't I don't care that that Deshaun isn't going to play in it. Um, I, I don't think that that's who this offense wants to see this uh, this week. So you know, to be to be honest, I'll feel a lot better. You know, if if Jones is in the game to to cover Watt there, but I mean. I feel like it could be a 17 to three game. That's, that's, that's kind of, I don't think this offense is going to do Jack against the Browns. Let me put it that way. I feel, I feel pretty yeah. good. I think that they're, you know, any, if anything, these events have only amped up what this defense is going to come into that game. looking to do. Um, I don't think it's going to be good for them. It shouldn't be. And that has to be the expectation, even though you lose Watts and you still have to play a defensive game. That's out of this world to win AFC North games. And, I thought they did with a really deadly offense in Baltimore in terms of holding those guys to 17 points from a defensive perspective and dealing with a lot of the nonsense that they had to deal with surrounding the penalties and whatnot. So they need to put it together at home. Hopefully the home crowd helps them out. And, you know, again, trying to paint this game is very winnable. If not borderline, we should be expecting the Browns to win despite the chaos that's happened. So John uh, provided some great insight here. Good discussion. And hopefully you guys appreciated him stopping by. I know I did. John, we appreciate you big time, my friend. Hopefully we'll catch up for a little Turkey Day talk next week where we can you know, go from a dad's perspective on the nightmares of traveling with multiple kids and <laughs> what kind of smorgasbord. I know you listen, one of the best cooks I know from a home, home, a home dad perspective, not on the professional side, but listen, the food this guy sends me via text message could, uh, could suffice for cookbooks at times. So. We're going to get a little bit of that out of them, too. We appreciate you, John. I'm looking forward to that next week. No, oh, that'll be a blast. Uh, it's my favorite holiday, So, but there's all the quirks. You know, you got uh, you got the family that comes in. You got your own kids, little monsters to deal with, and then you got the cooking side. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Thanksgiving is 100% my favorite holiday, too, so we'll devote some time to it. So a uh, big thanks to John. We'll catch up with him, and then we'll be back right after this word from our sponsors. And then, like I said, we will get over to our guests to talk all things all things Pittsburgh Steelers ahead of Sunday's gigantic AFC North battle. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals. And their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Brown Steelers Part 2. I bring Nick back in, who we had the first time. I think there's just a, a really good measuring stick for for what's changed with Pittsburgh from the first matchup and obviously where they sit coming into this game. So what's up, Nick? How are you, man? Yeah, Jake, as always, uh, thanks for having me on. It's always a joy talking here, especially Steelers-Browns. I feel like this year, especially because of how close uh, the, the teams are to each other, I feel like, just in the AFC North, too. Every game has more weight on it than it usually does. So always a, a good time catching up here, especially because these two teams have a pretty uh, pretty similar vision of what they want to do. Yeah, and it's again you you just mentioned it, but it's a loaded division playing well, and these two teams are six and three, and I don't think that obviously the Steelers have held up that end of the bargain more often than the Browns, but I would say Nick that, that we haven't seen very many of these types of contests. I mean, twenty twenty gave us a few of them where they were really, uh, you know, two good football teams. Now this one a little later in the year, there's just a lot of anticipation and build up around it. So what I want to do is sort of talk about the experience post week two, right? So you come out of that one and one. You now sit six and three, wins over the Raiders, 
uh, Rams, both of those on the road, home wins over the Titans and Packers, and then a couple losses mixed in there at Houston and then home for Jacksonville. So like what I would say if we could lead off with is, in your opinion, what has allowed the team to go to six and three since that week two matchup? Because I think uh, you know this as well as anybody. I think Browns fans know this. It seems like they've been outgained in a lot of games, but they're still finding ways to win. So enlighten us on how they're doing that. Like what is the leading elements to put this team who seems to be playing a very unique brand of football into the win column more often than not? Yeah, it's kind of interesting for the Steelers because they're a team that maybe doesn't have great down-to-down consistency or at least didn't have great down-to-down consistency. I think until recently, I think they're starting to kind of get there in terms of the run game coming up, um, in terms of the passing defense even coming up. Now, we'll talk about the passing defense because I think it's actually a pretty decent passing defense, and they've done an admirable job even without Minka Fitzpatrick. But what I think they've really done well is create turnovers, and I think that's been a big thing. They, they take care of the football, and they create turnovers. I think right now they lead the NFL in win percentage added just because of their turnovers. They lead the NFL along with the Bengals in turnover differential. I know those are some of those basic stats, but you look at it, and that has really allowed this team to stay afloat even when the passing game, Kenny Pickett, and other guys have struggled. And so – this secondary, even though they have struggles, they have warts, they're very, very good in terms of getting the ball-hawking parts of that down. Patrick Peterson, I, he doesn't have as much you know, speed anymore, but that's a guy that still gets interceptions. All of those guys in the secondary are ball-hawks. So the turnover part of it is a big part, but that's also because of their pass rush, right? Alex Highsmith, Keanu Benton, Larry Ogunjobi, um, TJ Watt, obviously, and then Cam Hayward now back. So I think the pass rush has really allowed them to get turnovers in the secondary and force fumbles, obviously, as well. I think they've gotten steady play from their second-level defenders. We'll see where that kind of goes now with some of the injuries. But I do think the turnover part of it has allowed them to get in the win column, and now they have, a, they have a substantial run game. I think that has really allowed them the past two weeks with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris being able to get going and being able to control the scripts of games, allow the defense to also get breathers. I think it's allowed the Steelers – to open up a lot of different things. It should open up the pass game, has not yet, but I think running the ball, taking care of the football, and getting turnovers on defense, whether that's with the pass rush or the secondary, that's how this team has gotten to 6-3. and three. Now, you can ask how sustainable that is. I think some of it might not be, but I also think the team kind of went through their rough patch before the bye and actually came out of it over 500. And I think they're playing a little better in recent weeks, even if it's against teams that aren't as good as the Browns, I do think we are starting to see some positive signs for the Steelers to actually starting to become a team that is less fluky. Yeah, let's talk on defense. You you mentioned several aspects, right? The first matchup didn't include Cam Hayward, so he's back. Obviously, linchpin, leader, everything you want, even at his age, is still doing things extremely well. So that front is formidable. It's going to cause the Browns problems. It's going to be a real interesting task for, I don't know if Dewan Jones plays, Nick. We'll see about that. We're recording this a little earlier on a Thursday, so we don't quite have the answer of whether he's practiced on Thursday, didn't practice yesterday, but the Browns tackle situation, obviously very, uh, very dicey to put it nicely. So uh, again, the Ravens defense has a lot of good things in their in their sort of structure, but as far as, you know, pure talent on edge rushers, it's not quite uh, at the level Pittsburgh is. So I think the Browns are paying attention to that, but there's, there's obviously two elements that I want to talk about, which is linebacker secondary. So, you know, linebacker, you lose Cole Holcomb, which is tough because he was playing really well. Same for, I know you just signed Quan Alexander before the start of the year. You lose him too. What's the plan? Alanda Roberts going to play full-time. Who's stepping in with him, and where are you on the concern meter about what goes on at linebacker after, again, 
I think the names were bigger last year, right? Miles Jack and obviously uh, Devin Bush, but those guys weren't playing well. But it feels like the guys they had brought in this year were playing better. But now some injuries have struck that unit. So I'm curious what, you, what you're sort of thinking about them for this one. Yeah, I, I am very concerned about it just because Cole Holcomb and Quan Alexander were their coverage guys. That's both their dime linebackers, both the guys that had worn the green dot. I think that's a big thing, too. Yeah. The hubs of communication are injured. Minka Fitzpatrick is the other hub of communication. He is questionable for this game with his hamstring injury that he's been nursing. So the team has just been kind of rotating in so many players. Elandon Roberts is a great green dot guy. He's a great communicator. I don't really have a concern with Elandon Roberts in terms of getting the green dot stuff down. He's done it before. He's a very vocal guy. But I am concerned with the other guys around him because it's not just the linebacking core, right? It's the young guys in the secondary, too, because we'll talk about that, where Keanu Neal's now hurt. Minka Fitzpatrick's hurt. Joey Porter Jr. starting to play more. They've made a lot of personnel changes and kind of usage in the secondary. And then these kind of linebacker injuries have corresponded with it. And so it's created some leaky, explosive plays, both on the ground and through the air. When a team has honestly played better than they have once these guys have been thrown in, once these changes have been made schematically, but sometimes those communication lapses happen. So Landon Roberts is probably going to play more. Now, I'm kind of interested to see if he plays all three downs because that's not a guy you look at and say, a dime linebacker, coverage linebacker. He's not a great coverage linebacker. He tries. He's very smart. He's a great run defender. I mean, he's been awesome for them this year. Mark Robinson, the young guy, second-year guy out of Ole Miss. He was their seventh-round draft pick last year. Um, He is going to step in as their starter probably. He's an interesting player um, because we really don't know a lot about him in terms of what he does. Played a lot against the Ravens last year, played a little bit against the Ravens this year too. He's really a bowling ball, former running back, very athletic, uh, has coverage upside, but is the coverage ability there yet? Is the processing ability there? He's kind of a little bit of the kind of a wild player. Um, He'll make big plays. He'll make splash plays. He'll make tackles for losses. He'll jump kind of routes for pick sixes, but he can also get caught napping. He can get caught in the wrong run fit. So very volatile as a player. Then your third guy that's going to step in, because they are going to work this three-man rotation, I think, it's going to be Michael Walker, who is right on their practice squad now. 20 games of starting experience in Atlanta for him. He was an 100-tackle guy. I don't put a ton of stock in tackles, but he was the green dot guy for them. He was the leader of their linebacking core, and he was kind of all over the place, has to do a lot in coverage. So what I think is going to happen here is your base guys and your 3-4 base your 3-4 Okie is probably going to be a Landon Roberts and Mark Robinson. I mm-hmm. think you're going to see a lot of those guys this week just because of how the Browns play football, how run-oriented they are. You know how the how the Browns play the Steelers with the 12-13 personnel, but they're also going to spread them out. So there's going to be opportunities for guys like David Njoku, I would imagine, maybe lined up against the Landon Roberts instead of Quan Alexander or Cole Holcomb. But Michael Walker is interesting because he's an athletic guy. He can play kind of anywhere. So he can play Sam. He can play Mike. He can play Will. And even though the Steelers run that 3-4, they can run three inside linebackers and do some interesting things there. So it's kind of interesting. If Keanu Neal plays in this game, I would imagine he could be a sub-package linebacker um, kind of option as well. But yeah. if not, Elijah Riley is going to be that guy. He's kind of your rundown nickel. He's kind of their Arthur Mallette, Mike Hilton-ish type player that they have kind of started to embrace. He's played more and more, played a season-high snaps last week. Uh, he came in in that Week 2 game, made that sack on Deshaun Watson late in the game. Uh, it's really clinching for the Steelers. And so he's a guy that could play more. Um, but your inside linebacker rotation is going to be three guys, Landon Roberts, Mark Robinson, and Michael Walker. Walker's only been here for about three weeks, so they're not going to put a ton on his plate. Um, but he'll probably have to play a lot just because of the injuries. 
Yeah, I know the Browns have been keying in on more gun run stuff to lighten boxes. A lot of the damage Jerome Ford did last week was against six or less in the box. So I think they'll pursue it. How Pittsburgh matches that will be something we will be all watching pretty closely, uh, trying to create space to run as you don't have Nick Chubb who could navigate space like none other. So, uh, you know, sorry, tighter boxes like none other. So they're trying to create as much space as possible, leaning into 11 personnel. I'm just going to be fascinated with how the Steelers attack linebacker. You talked about Keanu Neal maybe being a sub-down linebacker. I know he's done that in his past. He's a, a little bit questionable. Minka's questionable. Montrevious, update us on the injuries defensively if you think these guys are going to play or not. I know it's kind of tough to project a couple days away, but you got a, probably a little bit of a vibe right now. Yeah, Montrevious Adams, I do not believe, is going to play, which is a big loss for the Steelers. Um, you know, that's not a flashy name, but he's played really well for them at the nose and, and a three-tech. And even though Keanu Benton's really come on, you know, Larry Ogunjobi hasn't had a great year, and, and Montrevious Adams has kind of picked up where he has kind of left off. He's been very explosive, um, been a disruptor in the run game, been very solid for them, and has kind of allowed them to play Keanu Neal out more at three-tech, uh, four-eye, and different areas. But with him out there, Keanu is kind of this nose-tackle guy that can play in sub-packages, but he doesn't play as much as you would like out there. So it kind of doesn't maximize his pass rush potential. Um, so that's a potentially significant development. And I thought they missed him last week against the Packers when their pass rush kind of lulled and kind of came. It came in waves at times. Um, Keanu Neal, I don't believe, is going to play in this game. Personally, um, has a rib injury. We'll kind of see if he practices today. I, I saw him earlier today, talked to him. It did not sound very optimistic. Um, so we'll, I don't I don't really expect him to play. I think Mika Fitzpatrick's also a week away. Um, dealing with that hamstring injury. The Steelers have had uh, trouble with some hamstrings this year. Pat Fryermuth suffered a hamstring, re-aggravated it. Deontay Johnson had a, had a scare there too. So I think they're trying to take it easy with Minka and make sure he can get back fully healthy with that re-aggravating that injury. He's starting to jump and cut, so maybe there's a, an outside chance that he pushes as a game-time decision, um, but I don't expect those guys to play. I think all three will probably miss. I think Keanu Neal might be a questionable game-time decision. We'll just kind of see. It might be more of a pain area thing. Um, it's a rib injury, so so those are always kind of unpredictable. Um, so we'll kind of see where that goes. Cam Hayward didn't practice yesterday, but he'll, he'll play. Yeah. Um, so expect him to play. He won't play like 60 snaps like he usually does. He's still dealing with some swelling um, from the groin injury, and I don't think he's as effective as a pass rusher because he can't get that power base um, you know, with his bull rush and, and different things, long arm. Um, but he does play 45 snaps or so a game, and he's still a f- fantastic run defender. Yeah, tr- trust me, the Browns aren't excited to see him again after missing him the first time, that's for damn sure. All right, switching to offense, you talked about Fryermuth. He he had re- re-aggravated it. This kind of looked like the spot he would be able to come back. Are you are you thinking the vibes are strong for him to play in this one? Yeah, Pat Fryermuth is going to play in this game. Practice uh-huh. yesterday looked awesome. He's jumping, cutting, running full speed, stop, start. He's kind of got the whole cachet uh, underneath. Probably could have played last week, honestly, but it was on injured reserve, had to miss his four games. Again, that's just the Steelers being cautious with him, but I think he's ready to come back. And, and I'll say this, I think he needs to come back. The Steelers offense right now in the passing game is just stagnant and they haven't been able to really break open any options. And I think some of that's schematic, some of that's Kenny Pickett, but I also don't think they've had a, a fourth guy kind of emerge. And by that, I mean, they have George Pickens, they have Deontay Johnson, and then I consider the third guy both Najee Harris and Jalen Warren because it's one or two. It's one or the other usually on the field. Sometimes they run two running back stuff, but usually not. Um, so those are your three options generally. But Allen Robinson hasn't played very well. Calvin Austin and Kenny Pickett kind of seem off in terms of their timing and everything. And then Miles Boykin and, and Miles Boykin and Darnell Washington at this point have turned into run keys. Connor Hayward has kind of done things there here and there, but he's more of a you know, check down option, not really a, a true pass game option. So Pat Frymuth should come in here and, and be that kind of third or fourth option for them and give them an opportunity to 
expand what they do in the passing game. And really, when we talk about this offense, you know, the, the run game has really started to kind of expand. And it's quite honestly exploded in the past two weeks against the Titans and the Packers. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see, in my opinion, how they match up against this Browns front. But they need a passing game. They need just an average passing game to get this offense kind of going a little bit. They've had opportunities to score more than 20 points. Uh, they scored 23 against the Packers. Probably should have put up more than 30. They definitely should have put up more than 30 against the Titans. So. Uh, they're not far on this passing game, but there's variables to it. And, and I think Pat Fryer is going to be a big ad for them in that area. Yeah, week two, I think the Browns had their way with them. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the big chunk play to Pickens was obviously a key part of winning that ball game. But other than that, I'm not even sure that they played across the 50-yard line. Like uh, This has been kind of a theme for the Browns, and, and some games have been a little more variable-driven than others. But they're they're really doing a nice job, for the most part, making quarterbacks uh, pretty uncomfortable, man. So you talked about run game. The teams that have given them fits – have been able to run the ball on them to take some of that one-way street element out of play, right? Because if you allow them to pin their ears back, play with four, drop seven, they're a pretty dangerous defense, and they can bottle you up in some pretty unique ways. So I think that the last two weeks you're talking about this run game stuff, and I think Jalen Warren was a better weapon in the first one than Najee Harris. Is it an equal divide here, and is like Broderick Jones establishing right tackle that's helping this thing? Uh, go to the next level like you you know you watch your team you understand what they're doing better than anybody else so how are they in the last two weeks launching into some more successful run game yeah so it's become a true 50 50 with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren it's made them both better I think Jalen Warren is feeding off more touches but Najee just looks more explosive you talk about a guy that came into the year without a reputation of being an explosive running back and I think he's third in the NFL and explosive runs and there's a big reason for that it's because he's fresher he's been able to break tackles but Here's kind of the big thing that they have done. Broderick Jones has been a big part of this. It's They've been able to get guys on the move in space. A lot of pulling guards. You know, they have great athleticism up front at the offensive line position. It's not a great group, but you look at Isaac Sayamala, James Daniels, Dan Moore, Darnell Washington, Broderick Jones. We're talking about guys that get out in space and are terrors to block in space. Sayamalo and Daniels have looked awesome. The best they have looked in the Steelers uniform on these pulling plays. So they run a lot of same side counter. They run power. They run crunch. They run wham. They run all these different things out of these poles, and then they work off it, and it gets you know some play action opportunities. Now, they haven't hit on them yet because I think Kenny Pickett's been a big issue for them, quite honestly, in recent weeks, which has been interesting because they've run the ball better, and he's honestly been worse than he has basically all year. Um, but the run game has opened up the opportunities because they've been able to embrace this athleticism they have up front. And so when they finally go back to their bread and butter of inside zone or split zone, and they haven't run as much as that, though, but when they do go back to that, these guys get caught kind of over-pursuing, and they have opened up holes. Um, so really the kind of bread and butter of this team has been getting out in space. They work a, a legitimate screen game now. They run very well to the right side behind Jones and Daniels. They'll throw Washington over there too, kind of switch weak and, and, and strength sides as well to, to mess with your motion. They're using Allen Robinson kind of in an interesting way. It's kind of this alley blocker. Uh, this lead blocker, which I expect that's actually going to become Pat Fryermuth, which I think is going to be a, a big of a, a pretty big addition to them because I just think it opens up more in the passing game than Allen Robinson does. But they've been able to kind of get these lead blockers out in front, one lineman usually, and then a skill player, whether that's Connor Hayward or Allen Robinson, and it's created extra gaps. And Najee Harris and Jalen Warren have been able to get one-on-one -on -one opportunities, and they are great in the second level 
at breaking tackles and getting opportunities to turn runs into explosive plays. I think that's been a big thing for them. And they've also uh, been able to work some outside zone recently, which I think has really opened up what they've been able to do off their bootleg stuff in terms of what they look for in the passing game schematically. So that's really what they've done on the ground game. They've just been embracing the athleticism of the group and getting guys out in space because they are mismatched problems. And then that gets Najee Harris and Jalen Warren in a one-on-one opportunities. And it's really hard to bring both those guys down. Good stuff, Nick, here. I mean, as far as uh, the detail goes around this, this is an excellent uh, – I'll ask you on the way out the door your, your confidence level. Like, a couple things. Where are you at on Matt Canada? Where's the group at? Is that getting better? Is the perception raising? And then, you know, these home games, man, it feels like with this division, it's so hard to get a road win. That's why we were pre- pretty surprised by the result coming back, beating the Ravens. Like, I think the home road splits are are, are drastic here. I think the Steelers obviously stole one in Cleveland in 21. I think uh, Cleveland stole one, the playoff game there in 20. It's just rare. You don't see these. So is is the vibe around like losing Deshaun Watson, changing the element of, of belief there? Just kind of like give us where you're at on Steelers' ability to come into Cleveland and get it done. Yeah, I don't think it changes the belief a ton. Um, I, I think DTR is still a very talented quarterback, and I think the defense is the big issue anyways for the Steelers, right? They they just don't have a great offense, and even though the offense is starting to round to form by getting these rushing yards and, you know, they had over 200 rushing yards, they're still not relaying it into, like, tons of points. I mean, they only scored 23 last week, and that's better than what they had been putting out earlier in the year, but they need to put up 30-plus in some of these games. And, and so the offense still has issues, and I think the biggest issue for my confidence in the team right now and taking a step forward when we talk about, you know, they can beat the Titans and, and the Packers and all these other teams that aren't, you know, great teams. They can beat them with how Kenny Pickett is playing right now just because he's taking care of the football. He's being a, a bona fide game manager. But I need to see Kenny Pickett do something against the Browns. I need to see him do something against the Ravens consistently. I need him to play a full game. And I think that's the big thing. The albatross that we haven't talked about yet is all these things are kind of cracking into motion for Pittsburgh. And they've had injuries on the defensive side, but they've weathered the storm. They're still getting turnovers. They're still getting the quarterbacks. They're not limiting explosive plays on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's a big thing. And success rate, I believe, since the bye week, which is week six, so four games now we have had of the Steelers coming back on the bye week, they are fourth in success rate against the pass, but fourth in allowing explosive plays. Third and long has actually been their kryptonite on defense. And the reason that has happened is because teams are keeping six or seven guys in. The Steelers are just blitzing four, TJ Watt and, and Alex Highsmith and, and their two interior guys. And these DBs that are slower and young are kind of getting eaten up by these route concepts, these deep route concepts. You go back to the, the Packers film, and I believe they converted third and seven or longer four times out of like six times just because of that. So the Steelers have actually had a better third down percentage of getting off the field on third and four and third third, third and seven, on shorter third downs than they have on those third and longs since the bye week, which is kind of interesting. Um, so just something to watch. I think that could be a big thing when we're talking about explosive plays, even just getting in the field goal range. If you can hit a deep ball to Amari Cooper, if you can hit Elijah Moore, if you can hit Njoku, that could be something that changes this game because the Steelers' offense through the air has not been able to move the football. And so it's kind of going to be interesting to see the balance of can the Steelers force DTR to turn the ball over? Can they force, you know, maybe a fumble here or there? B. 
between the explosive element of that passing game because the Steelers' defense hasn't been able to stop explosive passing plays, and they've almost all come on third and long. It's kind of a very weird situation. And so maybe their blitz packages get split up. And this is another thing that I, I didn't talk about what the front is. T.J. Watt almost plays exclusively on the left. Alex Hasmith plays almost exclusively on the right. So you kind of know where they're going to be. So even if James Hudson and Jerron Christian are starting this game, you could still give them help because they don't move them around, right? They don't put – like Miles Garrett lines up over the A-gap. T.J. Watt has done that in hints, but they haven't really put it in for a full game. They don't move guys around. Um, what they did last week at the end of the game, once the Packers started to kind of figure out this four-man rush stuff and start to move the ball is, they started to blitz their defensive backs and linebackers from different spots. They blitzed Patrick Peterson from the slot corner spot. They blitzed Elijah Riley from the nickel spot. They blitzed him from the dimebacker spot. They blitzed Elan and Roberts. They blitzed Keanu Neal. They blitzed all their DBs. So they've been going more exotic five pressure stuff rather than moving TJ Watt and those guys around. So something to watch. I think it's going to be interesting to see how you kind of balance the defense versus the offense in terms of Steelers D versus Browns D because of the explosive play element that could potentially come because the Steelers defense is just kind of getting together, right? They're getting the communication stuff down and what they've done schematically. Now on the offensive side, you need to see something from Kenny Pickett. I think, you know, you need a few drives where he is just at least competent. He's just been missing layups. I think that's the most concerning thing for me is, you know, they, they've schemed him open. They've schemed George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, other guys open in the past, and he's not hitting them. He's either missing them read-wise, he's overthrowing it, he's underthrowing it. You know, it, it's a concern for me that his accuracy has been so volatile. And so if if Kenny Pickett can hit – some layups if he can just make a throw or two here because the Steelers have done a nice job of getting stacked sets going getting guys on the move they've done some of that sheet motion stuff that the Dolphins are doing right now you know they've been able to get some guys on the move and get kind of free releases for Pickens and Johnson and I'm sure they're going to do it with Frymouth too I expect Frymouth to play a lot in the slot so that that'll be kind of interesting of how they put him back into this offense we haven't seen him since October 1st so it's been a long time since Pat Frymouth's been in here but the passing offense has to give them something. It's not a great matchup for them because the secondary is so talented and the pass rush is so talented. The Steelers still aren't a great pass pro team. But they have to get something going in the passing game because otherwise, even if the Steelers go into 11 personnel, like the Browns are doing, the Steelers are doing the same thing where they're going to 11 personnel, spreading defenses out and getting into lighter boxes. The, the Browns have no reason to not still stack the box because – Really, when you look at what Pickett has done, he's not earned the respect of defenses. And the Packers started to do that. It didn't matter because the Packers were awful in run fits and run defense. But I believe the Browns will be better in that area. So if I think if Kenny Pickett can hit just a few throws in this game, that will be the big thing. But he is the biggest question mark I have right now. Matt Canada isn't a great offense corner, but has been doing different things and switching up offensive kind of releases, uh, launch points. He's been doing kind of different things to help Kenny Pickett, but Kenny Pickett hasn't responded yet. The only thing they haven't done yet is invent play action into the offense. That could be something that maybe catches the Browns off guard if they do that, but it hasn't come yet. Yeah, a lot of great stuff there. Obviously ties into what I thought they did in the first game, which is they they gave Kenny some nice answers. They they ran some effective man beaters, but he's he didn't deliver enough of them. He delivered a great ball kind of sitting in and handling that that decision to hit uh, Pickens over the middle that resulted in a huge play, but but against the Browns, what they're doing, man, is they are really challenging quarterbacks with the uh, really 
you know, deadly front four that you can't sit in there long enough. We're either going to get to you or create chaos around you that allows us to be able to be a, a, a bit weaker in coverage, a bit more uh, volatile back there because we believe our pressure is going to impact things. So if they can block Cleveland up front and Kenny can stand in and deliver some, I do think there will be opportunities to hit some throws. But that's a challenge, right? The Browns are doing some things that not many in the league are doing with man coverage and how they approach it. But turnovers tell the story. Can the, can the Browns avoid those because Pittsburgh's been thriving on creating them? And then can they, uh, you know, Pittsburgh get the run game going and tie that into their quarterback, as you were saying? It's really, it's really going to boil down to that. I really think it's quite as simple as that, and we'll know pretty early whether those teams are going to be able to handle that stuff. It's a huge, huge AFC North battle. Nick is obviously, in my opinion, that's why I have him on the pod every time these guys play the best doing it in Pittsburgh. You can read him on Pittsburgh sports. Now you can follow him. I always uh, make sure to link his Twitter profile for a follow uh, in the description of this podcast. He's well worth it for really balanced Steelers coverage. And I think he always gives great perception to what's going on over there. So well worth your time, Nick, we appreciate you big time, man. Yeah, Jake, as always, thanks for having me on. It's always good to catch up on these to see what's also going on in Cleveland um, as well, just because I, I respect, you know, that staff and I think they do a lot of forward thinking stuff. So it's always cool to see what they're doing. Yeah, two organizations that are all though rivals. I think there's a lot of mutual respect going both ways. So it should be a fun game. And again, we appreciate Nick's time, guys. We will be right back. All right, a busy podcast. Nonetheless, a very informative podcast. A busy day in Berea. All summarized for you. We'll see what we get on Friday. Probably could enlighten you a little bit more on what Jim Schwartz had to say. So maybe we'll get to that. Some of his experience from his Philadelphia days rallying around a backup quarterback in a time of crisis, which is obviously very much needed leadership in a time like this where they lose Deshaun Watson. So I know he spoke about that today and I know Alex Van Pelt spoke. So we'll try to update you on that. You get your weekend podcast with myself and Andrew Spade. We'll do all of our picks, talk through some of the elements around the Brown Steelers that are maybe under discussed. We'll dig into that and plenty more Saturday. You'll get Sunday with Brad Ward and then game day, a huge game for both teams to figure out the pecking order in the AFC North. And we're really excited about it here. So hopefully you enjoyed today and a huge shout out and appreciation to John Colosimo for stopping by and Nick Faribault for giving all that insight on the Steelers. Appreciate you guys for being here as well. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something from this one. And above all else, again, thank you for spending your time with the OBR Film Breakdown. Looking forward to the weekend. Two great podcasts. We'll catch you guys tomorrow. On the way out the door, we always say, Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.